always happy to have our audience, whether they're listening while we're broadcasting live or whether you're listening later on as a download. Nonetheless, we do appreciate your your participation. We have an interesting topic today, and uh, Dan Cavall, who is an instructor at St. Cloud Technical uh, and Community College, and Samantha Turner, who is a young surveyor. I'm not saying Dan isn't a young surveyor, by the way. Uh, Samantha is a young surveyor uh, who's the owner of 45th Parallel Geometrics, LLC, out in the state of Oregon. So welcome, Samantha and Dan. I appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for having me. We uh, are expecting James Shaw to join us. James is a professional surveyor here in Maryland and uh, also was involved in the development of an article that he and Gavin Schrock worked on for X, uh, XYHT Magazine and was published, I guess, back in March, um, which really, uh, I shouldn't say back in March because we're still in March. And uh, speaking of March, by the way, uh, happy National Surveyors Week to everyone and, and to my guest in particular. This is a great week for us. Uh, in the surveying profession, and uh, if you aren't aware, this week also will be the celebration of the first ever Global Surveyor Day, which was developed as a collaborative event by the uh, CLGE and NSPS, CLGE being the equivalent of NSPS in Europe, um, the difference being that CLG members are countries and our members member groups are states. Uh, nonetheless, um, Leaders of that group and leaders within our group, all part of FIG, have been working for some time to to create a Global Surveyor Day, and the idea was to make sure that it would occur during National Surveyors Week each year. So to that end, we have chosen March the 21st as the annual Global Surveyor Day because regardless of when National Surveyors Week falls by our criteria, it will always be, that day will always be within the week. And again, reminding those who aren't aware, National Surveyors Week is the week in March following the third Sunday. So, um, and, and Dan and Samantha, one of the reasons we did that was we started talking about, let's do it the third week of March. And then we said, well, okay, which week is that? What happens if it starts on Wednesday or if the month starts on Wednesday? You know, do you count that as a week or is that not a week? So we just ended up going with the week in March following the third Sunday. So this year that turns out to be uh, the 18th, which was Sunday uh, all the way through this week till Saturday the 24th. Um, and so, uh, again, for the audience and, and maybe for Dan and Samantha, uh, there's an event this week on Wednesday uh, down at the World Bank in association with an international meeting there to actually celebrate the first ever Global Surveyor Day with our cohorts from CLG and NSPS and other folks in the surveying world in the, in the U.S. and particularly within NGS have been invited to come down and be a part of that. So we're really happy to be adding another thing to National Surveyors Week and to honor the profession that we all care so much about and, and maybe that's a good way to start our conversation about um, the name of the article being Real Surveying with a question mark. Um, so I guess Dan and, and Samantha, and, and Samantha, I'll start with you. Um, I assume you were contacted by Gavin or James or somebody to get your perspectives uh, going into the article, or 
how, how did you get involved with it? Um, I am a part of the Oregon Young Surveyors Network, and uh, it was actually uh, Christopher Glantz sent me an email because we worked together in the in the network and wanted to know what my thoughts were since I'm a part of the group and that I've owned my own business and I focus mostly on boundary, topo, as well as that type of surveying. And so uh, he sent me the questions and I mulled them over and then sent him a really long email. And uh, I guess they, they incorporated that into the uh, group response for the NSPS Young Surveyors Network. Do you, do you find that in in Oregon in particular, and maybe even even among your your cohorts within uh, Young Surveyors Network, um, do you find that a, a lot of the young surveyors, and I guess maybe focusing on the ones who at this point have become licensed, um, do you find in your conversations that that this whole boundary thing is the is the biggest part of their business? I noticed as in reading the article and the questions as they were posed to me, there was a lot of focus on this. Um, what's kind of determined to be tunnel vision that uh, some people think surveyors have, and perhaps we do. Um, but are you finding that your people in your group and the young surveyors group are looking more broadly, maybe so, than your your other fellow professional surveyors in Oregon, some of whom are probably my age? Um, I do think they have like a much more broad view of what is to be land surveying. Like, the group is made up of, at least out here in Oregon, um, we've got people working for, you know, state agencies, DOT. I run my own business doing mostly boundary surveys. We've got people who work in aerial surveying and, you know, technicians who work in all different fields. I've got friends who would be young surveyors who are managing departments that aren't doing anything directly necessarily related to surveying, but then they, they need to understand these principles and practices related to that because they're directing groups and survey operations with, like, contractors and so forth. Yeah, I understand that. As a matter of fact, um, as, as I think you both know, NSPS sponsors some certifications programs. I know Dan knows about this, um, uh, the primary one being the certified survey technician. Uh, but we also have one that's a, that's a hydrography certification that we do along with the Hydrographic Society. And, and most recently we've been contacted by uh, the American Pipeline Surveyors Group um, where they're looking to do a specific certification on pipeline surveying that would really extend... Uh, to technicians, but also extend to professionals. Uh, and, and again, falling back to the hydrographer side, uh, pro- professional surveyors also seek that certification. And, and I think that kind of opens up discussion a little bit about uh, the concept of um, specialization. Is there a need for it? Is there not a need? And you, you both probably aware, are aware that some states in their licensing laws already do that. They, they already have special licensing, like my, my home state of Virginia has a special license for photometric surveying. Um, but that doesn't limit me as a licensed surveyor from doing photogrammetry if I'm qualified, if I have the, you know, have the right experience and what have you. Um, but it, it, I, I think we're seeing more and more of the specialization, and it seems as though that's coming from just the recognition that to in today's world to perform a lot of those other activities outside the boundary, which we all kind of learn 
kind of inherently, I guess, as we go through our process of learning, whether it's through education or a combination of education experience or experience only where that's allowed, whatever. Um, but I, I think people are beginning to look right, at it in terms either. of do we need a, you know, a, a different kind okay, of education. Yeah, I talked that, to her earlier. I'll, I'll, we're here. Uh, David, are you on the David line? We can at, hear at you. America's Web Radio. Just, just tell her that <laughs> well, we're, uh, we're getting. We, didn't, we weren't he notified. He told me having problems today, so maybe, maybe we can talk loud enough to be over him and his. Uh, yeah, yeah, hope he doesn't cuss so anybody I'm out or anything. Real quick, if I can cut in, James Shaw is on the call. I was actually having problems myself today, so I am. Oh, James, great! I didn't hear the ping when you came in, so it's great to have you here. But in Looking at those those things we've just been talking about in terms of the different types of things we do, and and as Samantha pointed out, the the technician side of things. Uh, Dan, I know in in Um, in your work at at St. Cloud. Uh, technical community college. I got to go. Uh, um, your alarm went You're off looking at a lot of people month. coming through that that, that may end up being technicians only. On. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think that might be true. Down and um, go charge so, thing up. so I'm just interested in your perspective uh, on all that. Somebody your tried to break into where they may or may not be going. It was going off and looking at identifying specialties or at least qualifications in the different areas. I haven't. I didn't. I left so early. Yeah, like the technicians that I that I teach. Um, you know, we're getting contacted, obviously, as most of them, most technolo- okay, technical well, colleges do by their local I'll, DOTs, yeah, yeah. and um, and we have a number of industry partners that do that do uh, work directly with us in our own. And we've been using since yes, a lot of them do have the boundary, but you know, like our DOTs, uh, so they they want technicians no because they kind of want their technical or their their, so tech, you know, their their view on technology, okay, and. Uh, you know, they might be looking at hiring our students if they're trying to integrate maybe a, a drone, like you know, a, a part of a part of their department that covers aerial, or or something along those lines. So um, I do see that we do have a, we do have maybe 20 to 25 percent of our students that do go on to the bachelor's degree. We have a two plus two program in Minnesota as a four-year state. Um, I teach I teach one of the programs in the state as the two years, and then the remaining two years you head over to the university. And that's where you perform, you know, you, you take your boundary courses and, and your GIS courses. Um, but even to say to that, you know, when, when you go to the when you go to the bachelor's degree, there's there's one course on boundary law, and there's just as many courses on GIS and other other disciplines as well um, that are required to satisfy that bachelor's to sit for the license. Um, so yeah, it's it's I have that I have that uh, discussion with myself many times about about multiple licensure and the different disciplines and and uh, like we we touched on in the article, you know. Um, if you put a surveyor on the spot on what you do, a lot of times the protect the public will be the will be the coin phrase that they say. And and uh, you know we we have a lot of um, uh, younger folks that that, that 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 believe that there are other ways to protect the public solely than than just through their boundary lines. So um, yeah, definitely worth the discussion. Yeah, I know this whole concept of the tunnel vision is a bit strange to me because of course I've been in surveying since before at least some of you were born, maybe not James, but um, my all the way through my career in surveying, with the, with the slight exception of the beginning when I when I worked on a DOT crew for a few years between high school and college, but once I got out of school and, and went into working my way toward licensure and eventually there, I was fortunate that where I worked, the company I worked for, was very diversified in, in every we did every type of survey you could think of um, or at least related we didn't do 
we didn't do the aerial work specifically, but we did ground control and, and checks for, for that work. But I guess the point I'm making is the group of us who came through that company and the ones who worked for us ultimately have always had this broad view of what surveying is and that boundary is, a, is an extremely important piece of that. But you can't narrow it down to that. I don't know how anybody makes a living if they narrow it down to that, actually. Um, I guess there are places where you can do that. Um, but it does become uh, difficult, in, in particularly in rural areas like where I was, where I was learning about surveying. So I'm, I'm going to be interested as we go through the conversation today to hear, uh, talk with James some about his perspectives on what other people have said and get some more perspectives from you two guys. Uh, as we move ahead. So with all that being said, we are, believe it or not, at time for our first break. So we'll be away for a couple of minutes and be right back. Field books. There is a difference, and the difference is made in the USA by family-owned and operated Bogside Publishing in New Hampshire. For over 38 years, the family business has produced the finest, most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable field books in the land surveying and engineering industry. Demand the best from your supplier, Bogside Publishing Field Books. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Quick Stakes. Is your answer to staking lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes? Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, like good surveyors everywhere on the NSPS Radio Hour, we overcome all obstacles, whatever they may be, and we continue to do that. And uh, and James had to overcome an obstacle in his office this morning to get on the line. So I'm glad you were able to join us, James. And we, before you came on, I don't know how quickly you were on, but Samantha was talking about perspectives and the work that she does and perspectives within the YSN group that she's specifically uh, associated with, and then of course you heard Dan having some conversation about what's happening in in the school where he is, and perspectives of surveying within the realm where he works. Um, I guess I, I'd really be interested for you to share with uh, with the audience, uh, not, not a ter- extremely uh, detailed way, but just your perspectives as you. I guess if I'm understanding this correctly, when this information came in, you and Gavin worked together to sort of try to piece it all together. And I'm, I'm just curious about how uh, how knocked out you were by some of the responses you might have heard, or were they comical, or were they? I'm just just curious about your reactions to all that. Um, actually, I would not I would not say any of them were comical. Um, so. so, so this started back in uh, November of 2017. Uh, Gavin and I started having conversations, talking about the next article to write, and uh, he, he felt, you know, since I don't mind taking on some controversial subjects, this was a 
this was one maybe we wanted to take a look at. Um, and, and, and giving credit where it should belong, Gavin did a lot of the legwork, reaching out to everybody, compiled it, and then we reviewed it, and then I wrote the article from, from all the responses. Um, when I say not comical, I guess what I mean is there is some real pain out there in the community, uh, either within the United States or globally, but there's also some bright stories. There's, there's a lot of stories of cooperation and and people working together to achieve goals without getting too hung up on who's licensed, who's not, you know, what kind of work are they doing. Um, the real beginning of the idea was that at a lot of state society meetings, you, you hear of people doing unlicensed practice. Um, some states have pursued it um, legally, and, and, and Pennsylvania is one that comes to mind immediately sometimes don't get the results they quite expected from when it goes to court. Um, so so the question is, is there people providing surveying services that aren't pursuing licensing because licensing typically is very focused on the boundary aspect of things? And are we not being as open or inclusive or fair to everybody as we could be by focusing on that license? So that was kind of the... the the emphasis of the article, and, and it really did become a global search for answers, not just a, a United States search. Right, yeah, and, and I think that that whole concept of uh, licensing laws and uh, court cases and those kind of things related to it, and, and I'm sure you found this out as you looked through the various state laws or maybe even had some input from how particular licensing boards approach things, um, and and I, the one I obviously the one I can speak to the most is is the one in Virginia because that's where I'm I'm licensed. Although I am a, a property line surveyor in Maryland, um, I may or may not have told you. I think I said this on the radio. Be sure before I put my property line license on retired status at my advanced age in Maryland, and was was given a certificate that said my retired status expires in the year 2117. So um, when that happens, I guess I'll be mature enough to renew. I don't know. In another hundred years, <laughs> you, never, you, you never know. But but what I was going to say is when you look at licensed versus non-licensed practice and when is it a problem, when it isn't it a problem, and when does it become uh, running afoul of the state licensing laws, my understanding of, of the way it works in my state is our licensing board doesn't have any authority to to approach somebody who's practicing without a license. They only deal with issues that come up related to those who are licensed, and I don't know how unique that is. Did you do you have any kind of research on that at all? Um, not on that specific topic, but but I mean, even in Maryland, um, the the idea is that you are licensed to protect the public, and, and I think a lot of surveyors lose sight of that, and they believe the license is to protect their area of practice. And I do think that becomes, you know, protect them from competition. And I think that is where some of the issues evolve because the focus is so much on the license and, and what is being done. And as you said, the licensing board has a pretty narrow focus compared to what I think a lot of surveyors interpret it to be. Right. And, and that's not to say that one can't be sued for practicing without a license, but that doesn't go through the board. It goes through the courts. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's a, a different perspective, obviously, than you might get through the boards themselves. And uh, so I don't know. Um, 
Kurt and Samantha, don't want to leave you out of this conversation. I don't know if you guys have had any issues uh, that you've heard about where this particular topic comes up in terms of this, this little narrow discussion that we're having at the moment about licensed versus unlicensed practice and how prevalent it might be where you operate. I don't know, Samantha, do you see that in Oregon? Um, I don't know that I've seen a lot of unlicensed surveyors practicing. I was just reading over our rules this morning, and um, it's my understanding that Oregon considers any type of land surveying, like topography, as built, construction, laying out alignments, and boundaries to be the practice of land surveying. And I think our board maybe does have the ability to reach out and punish those or go after those who are practicing unlicensed. I know they last year there was a big story about them going after a person who was studying the traffic signal patterns and they thought he was practicing engineering. And uh, that was there was quite a hubbub about that and I think the board ended up being on the wrong side of that situation. Extending yeah, their reach a little bit too far, but well, yeah, I can understand that. I mean, and the thing of it is, I, and I'd, I'd like your all of your opinions on this. In, in my mind, there's a difference between gathering data and providing data for use um, in any particular instance, and then then licensed areas of practice. And I guess all of us who came up working on survey crews and going out in the field, generally speaking, without a licensee with us, uh, under that scenario of anything you're doing, I guess all of us were breaking the law because the person who was going to sign off on our work wasn't wasn't with us. I, I, what are you, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? At least in Maryland, the way the uh, law is actually written is as long as you're under the supervision of a licensee, you're, you're not breaking the law. So, so the idea is that there is a licensee providing that direct oversight. Right. So that would be the same in Oregon. Yeah, and so in your case, mm -hmm. if somebody was out there gathering data, the fact that they were actually there gathering it wouldn't be the issue. The issue would be were they gathering that data for use by a, a licensee. I, I guess I'm thinking of that correctly. Yeah. And and would they would they then need to be under the the uh, employee of that person or could somebody make a case that they're working under the authority of or supervision of a licensee even if they contracted to him to do that work for them? How how you perceive that? Again, I know in Maryland, um, photogrammetry is a great example because I know Virginia does have a license for photogrammetry. Maryland does not. We explored that option, but we have not pursued that. Um, and the thought there was as long as the, the photogrammetrist was providing survey data to somebody in responsible charge, so they weren't an employee, they were contracted, but as long as there was somebody with responsible charge for the data being collected, that was that was sufficient. Yeah, you know, kind of ironically, in Virginia, that scenario is what created the law where you have what's known as a surveyor photogrammetrist. But it was almost the other way around. It was, okay, if I'm a 
if I'm a professional surveyor and I hire somebody to do photogrammetry and I don't know anything about photogrammetry, then why would I be the one who could determine whether or not it was done correctly if I don't know anything about photogrammetry? So and we actually I, and there's there's a lot of technologies where that is a risk these days. Um, a lot of the older surveyors are not aware of exactly how things like LIDAR is working, but they are using it. So, so they are replying, relying on their technicians to have the expertise. They don't personally have it in a lot of cases. Yep, I agree. I, I don't know. Dan, is that something that you guys run into at all in your relationships with the, with the surveying world, so to speak, from, from the academic side? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we do have, I mean, our, obviously our, our technicians are, are likely the ones uh, being the supervisors, um, you know, on the, on, on the, on the ground. Um, I do, I do know of certain times in Minnesota, it's crossed, it's crossed a few books that, uh, speaking to hiring somebody who isn't licensed, but, you know, kind of giving them your expertise. There are many disciplines that licensed land surveyors are, are capable of signing off on that they've never had formal education on. They maybe never even attended a seminar on it. But they are licensed, so they are allowed to make that determination. So yeah, I mean, I, we see that here as well. So I mean, I, I've had I've had many great surveying mentors, but um, technologically sound, uh, they're maybe not great. But I mean, their 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 surveying knowledge is extensive. But sometimes even operating cell phone might be a little difficult. So, um, but yeah, they, I mean, they do have they have those qualifications to make that. So uh, sometimes I I, I I question that a little bit as well. Yeah, get that whole cell phone thing. I- I, I totally. Agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm not allowed to have one that's bigger than I think mine is like two and a half inches wide and maybe five inches long or something like that. Um, I, I'm not allowed to use anything beyond that just because of my advanced age and and those kind of things. But 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 I get that. I mean, and and that's part of the story is just this whole concept of where we're headed in the world in in technology and availability uh, of. The, the capability, I should say, of gathering data, um, it's just kind of mind-blowing in a, in a lot of ways. And, and I think part of what you're seeing in the answers to some of your questions and the, and the poll, um, you notice I didn't call that a survey, by the way. I want to get in trouble doing that. Huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think some of that comes from that, that mindset that a lot of people in, in my age group or even younger than I am, uh, just not having as much exposure to the newer technologies through a lifetime and having a hard time grasping the fact that younger people grow up with that whole concept. I, I've learned it through my grandchildren, quite honestly. Uh, they're, they're both in their 20s, but and, and watching them grow up and be a part of their lives, I've, I've come to have a better understanding of how all of that Massive amount of data that's available and and how you, how things can be done has felt strange to me. So anyway, it's time to go to our second break. Let's go do that, and we'll come back in a couple of minutes and talk further about our topic. Bogside Publishing for over thirty eight years, this family owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain resistant, and most affordable made in the USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside Field Books from your supplier 
or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, we were talking about perspectives on the profession and the the diversity of perspective, perhaps, of the young versus the older group, the, the more the more well-seasoned. I have to be careful how I say that. Um, but I think that's a, the topic that, bears a bit more conversation. I know, Samantha, you had some thoughts about that. Yeah, so, I mean, the young young surveyors kind of see, like, you know, we've kind of grown up with, like, a little bit more of technology. I think I felt like I was sort of on the verge of the beginning of that. Um, but I've come across in my own experience, going back to the technology, we've had GPS for a long time now, and I'm still coming across people and technicians who are going about and using it, and they just, it's a black box, and they don't really understand how it works. They just assume that it gives me, like, the super precise data that I need, and then I'm getting that information, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this isn't good enough. And they don't understand why it's not good enough. And it's just, you know, that's where there's, like, a technological understanding that just is kind of lacking. And... uh I mean, education plays a huge role in that part. Yeah, and and I'm assuming that that kind of cuts across the board to some degree. I mean, I can certainly see where um, my generation would look at GPS uh, or, or could look at GPS to say, well, you know, I've got this really high, highly precise data gathering uh, tool here, so when that information comes in, I don't really understand enough about it or how it was processed or anything else. So it's it's acceptable because it, it has high precision to it. And and people hear me say all the time that, you know, high precision and accurate location have very little to do with each other um, or, or less than some people believe. So I, when you're when you're saying, talking about what you're talking about, you are you, I think you're talking that on maybe both sides of the age spectrum you may have folks who, who either accept technology because it's been a part of their lives all along or people who mm-hmm. accept technology because they don't understand they probably shouldn't as much as they do. Am I capturing that correctly? Yes, I think that's pretty accurate. 
excuse me, I've got yeah, yeah, Kurt. I mean, you know, when when it, when the generation above above ours came in, GPS was you know when it was first coming out, or even the first you know few years of it, it was you you respected it a little bit more because it was so powerful, and you you realized you realized what you could do with that now. Now that you had it, like like Samantha's saying too. The technicians that are coming out, well, even my program, um, the technicians that are coming out, GPS is an assumption. You know, if, if you don't have GPS, that's a hardship. You know, so it's, you know, they just don't show that same type of mentality or, or, or you know, that's just an assumed tool that I just use and there's really no question and it just kind of gives me the answer and there we go. So um, I think, yeah, we, it's been viewed differently, you know, by, and, 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 and our generation coming up, they bore quickly of technology, you know, they're on to the next thing all the time. So... If you're not producing the next highest quality uh, technical stuff, that they, they, they seem to they seem to uh, you know tire a little bit quickly. But yeah, like like Samantha said, I can see where that and and some people like to I, I can see it in my own students they equate they equate their um, ability with the equipment to their field knowledge, and that's not necessarily the same thing. You they're very good at running equipment, um, but you know the term button pusher. Sometimes I use that in the classroom just to kind of rise them a little bit because. Just because you can go out and collect really great data doesn't necessarily mean that you deserve a license, you know. <laughs> so you're not making any determinations on that point. So, but yeah, I can right. I can understand that. And I guess the converse of that, and maybe James can can comment on this too, is the converse of that is the fact that I have a license. My background in being able to understand and properly utilize that equipment, um, my license doesn't necessarily ensure that I'm going to have that knowledge um mm-hmm. and and in some cases because i didn't grow up with it so yeah i can see both sides of that <laughs> you got the one side that that it looks at it as something that's just part of the equation it's always out there uh as you say where's the next cool thing um and so this data we're gathering is all great and wonderful and then on the other side you have people who kind of accept it because that maybe they don't understand enough to challenge it in any way, I I don't know, James. What do you think? Well, so so this kind of cuts to the heart of the matter a little bit, which is um, the technology to me is a, is an enabler. Um, but then the question is, do you have the expertise, the background to understand what it's allowing you to do? Um, and, and as you were mentioning, being a licensee does not necessarily give you that background that that's where professional judgment comes in is whether or not you have that training or do you need more training do you need more understanding do you need to experiment more um and 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 this also goes to kind of the point of the article to a degree um it may not have been put quite as bluntly but we're we're in a time now where somebody with no traditional surveying background whatsoever can acquire GPS, GNSS equipment. They can study how to use it. They can get accurate or precise locations of features on the earth. And is that surveying? And and the best example of that, and I kind of alluded to it before when I mentioned a a case in Pennsylvania, was there was a company that had gone out and done location of, of electrical utilities, and they did not have a licensed surveyor on board. So this really becomes an interesting debate, and it's one that we're definitely having within my society, which is what constitutes surveying. What because because the NCWS model law, and most states have a definition that says locating features on, above, or below the surface of the Earth. It's very wide grasping, 
so is is locating an oak tree to let other arborists know that there's an oak tree in this area? Is that surveying? By that definition, it would be, but is it? So, so we're having a discussion, as I said, on a local level about what is surveying, what is mapping, is there a difference? And I'd like to hear some more from, from the panel here on that. Hmm. Well, before I'll give I'll give Dan and Samantha a moment to think about that. But the point I was going to add, James, is that that process or that situation that you just described actually even goes into the whole procurement side of what's a professional service for procurement and what isn't, because we have we have laws in the country that relate to. Uh, activities that are restricted to licensees and quote, the professions, architecture, engineering, surveying. Um, and so when do those two things intersect, I mean, or, or maybe diverge, diver, you know, diverge from each other? Uh, and that comes up a lot. It, there are a lot of things going on right now. There's a bill in the, in the federal hopper right now on that whole thing in terms of, um, and our, our perspective on that is that, Hiring through the professional procurement process, whether it's state, local, or federal, whoever has that qualifications-based selection uh, criterion, um, is really based on um, what is the work and, and understanding whether or not it falls within the licensing structure. And as you just said, James, sometimes that's hard to do. So, yeah. I, Dan, Samantha, I'd like to hear your thoughts. I'll let Dan go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm still thinking myself. No, I, 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 I understand the question. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of brought to a, like a, uh, maybe a, a county setting or a city setting, a setting where you may have a city engineer or a county engineer, um, and you have a surveying department, but you just don't house a county surveyor. You know, you, you, you work with your dealers. You go to the right required trainings. Um, you're doing all of your accuracy checks and, and all of that, and, you're, and you're, you're locating that tree out in the field. Um, in that instance, I would say absolutely. That's that's surveying. I mean, that that's what it is. Um, now, on the on the on the on the point where you're you're going to fly over with aerial and you're going to just drop a little node on a picture, or it's going to automatically pick up a tree. Um, I mean, if you were asked to provide certain uh, accuracy, I mean, if you were able to understand how that um, or the accuracies that were used to derive that, if you can provide that, I mean, that's. I mean, that's the technology we're using, so we almost have to accept it as surveying because if we don't, I mean, we're shutting another door, you know. So I don't know. It's a, it's a very loaded question. It's a good question. And with that loaded mm -hmm. question, at least from the Minnesota perspective, um, would that constitute something that needs a license, and do you believe it needs a license? For maybe for the county work or the, 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 the city the example work? Of, the example of picking a point from an aerial photo. I, I I struggle with that because I mean it would have to it would have to depend on certain educational requirements and backgrounds and, and continuing ed. I mean I, I I don't know. I mean it would have to do. I mean how would you you'd have to design curriculums around that and uh, I, and I'll let Samantha think just a, a moment longer and just interject here that I think. Oftentimes, the answer you would hear to your question, James, is it depends. It depends on how that 
what what is that data going to be used to do? And I would absolutely agree with that, and and that's part of the reason this is such an interesting conversation because laymen are getting a as technology increases, laymen are getting a much easier access to. And again, these terms are different, but they do interchange some precision and accuracy. So, so the laymen are getting some access to accuracy, and, and the question is, when is the practice of surveying? When is it not? Does it require a license? And, and that's kind of the point of the article to a degree, is making this more inclusive so that we can pull those people in, so that we can, somebody who isn't licensed but doing this kind of work, bring them into the fold, get them to see the bigger picture maybe make future surveyors out of them, licensed surveyors. Right, and I think oftentimes where the, where the question comes is um, when you ask, okay, well, what are you going to do with that data? I, I don't think the licensing laws necessarily make any differentiation about that. They, they're pretty uh, straightforward in the sense that they say, if you're doing this or if you're doing that, but there's nothing in them I won't say nothing, but it's hard to discern within them sometimes uh, where the the purpose of the data and what it's going to be used for comes into play. Um, so I think that that helps to make it. I should. I'm stating that more incorrectly. Mm-hmm. It adds to the confusion, I guess, yeah. because the licensing laws aren't as as definitive sometimes it just says if you're doing this activity then you're surveying but the, you don't read after that but if you're going to use it for this purpose um, that kind of thing I, I could maybe clarify that too what I was what I was thinking earlier if you took if you took that county scenario and you had you had your, your technicians that were working there underneath the county engineer and they bought a they bought something aerial and they did some flying and they located a few features is that any different I mean, and let's just say we don't call that surveying. We just call that mapping because it's not underneath somebody who's who's a licensee. Now let's say that same exact county has... Dan, I'm going to have, a, have you finish up on that sorry. when we come back from break. We're Something. a few seconds from break, so I don't want to get that, us in trouble. I, I want you to nope. follow up that when we come back. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. I think I broke two seconds early. I may be in trouble. talking about precision. Bogside Publishing. For over 38 years, this family-owned New Hampshire business has manufactured the most durable, rain-resistant, and most affordable made-in-the-USA field books for the land surveying and engineering industry. And Bogside Publishing is still doing it today. Demand Bogside field books from your supplier or go to bogsidepublishing.com for a list of exclusive Bogside dealers. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 438 
888-253-0387 or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, I know, Dan, you were uh, talking before we went to break. I'd like you to follow up on that thought. Sure, yeah. No, I was just going to finish. Um, just, I was just going just gonna, to uh, just reiterate, too. It was, I was just running a scenario of let, if, if, we were to, if we were to have um, surveying technicians working for a county that, that only has an engineer, uh, has, has, a, has a county engineer, and they're working underneath that, and they, they, do, they fly a project and, and they do that data collection, and they call that, let's just say we call that a mapping. Uh, is, is it any different if that county were to have a licensed land surveyor, but that licensed land surveyor has never taken a course in UAS, doesn't understand that tool or anything that really goes along with it and puts all the trust in the technician? Is, is, is that considered now surveying because that licensee is now overseeing that practice, even though that licensee maybe has no idea how that practice works? Is, I mean, how, is that different? Is that now considered surveying? Does that make us feel better or... Um, that was a scenario that I was, I was trying to clarify a little bit on my earlier statement. So, right, okay, that's great, uh, Samantha. I don't want to leave you out of this discussion. So, um, interested in any thoughts you might have? Um, I think, uh, in a way, I think it could be really helpful for us to be more inclusive under what falls under land surveying. You know, GIS and aerial and hydrography, you know, does that all fall under land surveying or do they just need to have a land surveyor that's helping to oversee certain aspects of these projects? And then if we do need to have that, like who's licensed? Are they all licensed? Are they all regulated? Do we have different levels of licensing or certification? And then if we're trying to include all of these other realms or like, you know, even in the article, some people mentioned that they thought boundary surveying is really what land surveying and the license should apply to and that, you know, maybe like topography or hydrography like falls under this sort of broader spectrum that maybe shouldn't be considered for specifically a land surveying license. And if we do broaden it to include all these things, we're almost shooting ourselves in the foot and exacerbating a problem that already exists, which is like, where are we getting all these surveyors from? Right. Well, you know, I think that that leads into sort of a, a topic we may or may not finish in, in the rest of this segment. But I, I think that lends itself to the discussion when you look at, at at least what I perceive to be the international perspective. And and perhaps, James, you can talk about that a little bit in terms of what you picked up from your international uh, pro, uh, participants, because in my working with people in other countries on different continents, um, there is different perspectives there than, than we have here. So uh, did you gather that through your article, too? Uh, yes. Um, actually, actually the, the country that I think that surprised me the most, because I had a personal misconception about it was the UK. Um, I've always had the impression that uh, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, RICS, was um, a, a licensing uh, um, board or, or, or something related to that. And, and I've learned that 
the UK actually does not have a license. And Rick's is a society. It's it's a membership to to a surveying society that has a lot of prestige and value to it. But yeah, and, and it's kind of become a, a standard, so to speak. Not only in 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 England, but they're all over the world now. Yes, exactly. Um, what what what? Most of the responses we got internationally. Now, some of them do echo some of our own problems that we see here in the United States. But by and large, it seemed to be that. The license internationally is mostly related towards the boundary, or as they more commonly refer to it internationally, the cadaster, and that things outside of that didn't necessarily need licensing. And there wasn't such a contentious relationship that everybody accepted that's the way it is. So there would be other people also doing topography, also doing construction stakeout, um, drone use, um, but the the cadaster itself was absolutely something that required licensing, and the other parts of surveying were were, were much more competitive and open to anybody. And and it, it almost seems like too that whole idea of the cadaster, um, for lack of a better term, in a lot of places it seems, and Canada kind of falls in this category too. It seems that the idea of the cadaster has been more, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say settled. In other words, they have a a, a, de, a defined um, element about where land ownership is, and it's all cataloged and it's all it's all uh, uh, recorded. Those kind of things. So it seems to me as though, and maybe I'm I'm just misunderstanding this, but it seems to me as though there there seems to be less uh, contentiousness, if that's the right word, in terms of actually determining where a boundary lies. It's it's almost as if well, that's already been decided, and we've got all this data. I, maybe I understand that incorrectly, but that's the way it seems to me. Um, I kind of got that impression that um, the way the questionnaires went out, that didn't. There wasn't a lot of questioning on that aspect of things, but uh-huh. there were some responses that actually did still touch on that. And and, and yes, it seems like there is a. Less lawsuits, a lot more of a a formed system that everybody works within. Yeah, that that's the impression I have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question, I guess, related to that. Maybe I'm misunderstanding, but if they don't, if their licenses just refer to or are regarding like boundaries, how is the rest of the industry regulated? Because I think that's where part of our concern that's coming in is where's what's establishing the integrity of the people out there, the integrity of the data, you know, and then we you mentioned earlier it's gonna be pretty hard to do a business just based on only doing land you know, boundary surveying. You need to, you know, be open to all types of of surveying and then that kind of brings me back to the question of what's real surveying and what isn't. Yeah, so from from what from the information I was reading, from what I was gathering from the questionnaires with other other countries, um, most surveyors are doing a, a wide variety of work. Um, even though the license allows them to work in the cadastre, they're still doing other types of work. It's just there is competition allowed that doesn't require a license as long as it's not working on the cadastre. So the surveyor would be providing topography, but there may be somebody without a license also providing topography, also competing yeah. with them in that market. Right. right. And is there any, any uh, back to Samantha's question, 
is there any kind of credentialing at all? I mean, like here, for example, you have the uh, SPRS has a certification and other elements within the whole uh, geospatial world have certifications. I wonder if they have those kind of things that maybe assist in, in determining those qualifications or regulation. And I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe you didn't hear that in the responses. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that either. That is something that would be be worth exploring. So, Dan, looking at all that, um, I assume that you've got all the challenges figured out in, in preparing your students. So, Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a learning experience every day for me, just trying to stay on top of their learning needs and, and uh, the modern learner. So, uh very interesting. So, I think the days are gone when the the professor had whatever they taught, and they taught it to the generations as they come and go. I guess that that doesn't happen so much anymore. No, you kind of got to you got to change it from year to year, and and you know we're slowly trying to incorporate uh, the aerial the aerial and scanning capability stuff, and we're we're trying to integrate that into our curriculum. But um, you know we we do. Um, our program does actually put a little bit more emphasis on the boundary than, than certain tech programs. Um, uh, just and we don't necessarily have the scanning and the aerial stuff. I know a lot of a lot of programs are, are, are integrating that quickly, um, but we do still we have a, we have a very strong presence of boundary surveyors in Minnesota. That's still really that really um, special advisory board as well. Um, so we got to embrace that, but we're still we're still trying to teach as much boundary as we can in, at the tech level at least. So they have some of that at least when they come out with their two year. So. Before we get away, James, um, you mentioned during the break, maybe you can share this with the audience. You mentioned the Pennsylvania case. Um, you might want to share with the audience a little bit of what, about what you told us on the break about where that came down and how people might be able to look up that case and review it. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so I, I had mentioned within our conversation um, on the air that there was a case of a company um, doing locations of electrical utilities for a, a, a um, asset inventory, and the Pennsylvania board fined that company. I can't remember what their original name was, but the, they eventually got bought out by Davy Tree Service. And the actual case is Davy Tree Service versus the Pennsylvania board. And so, so the Pennsylvania board had levied a fine. They took it to court, which you can imagine probably was not a cheap endeavor, especially in, in relation to, I think it was a $2,000 fine or 5000 I think it was 2000 um, But they decided to actually challenge it. And the courts ruled in favor of Davy Tree Service, saying that the idea of locating anything on, above, or below the surface of the earth was an absurd result because a taxi driver picking up a fare could also be constituted as land surveying. And wow. in subsequent to that, they said that land surveying had to be done in conjunction with an engineering project. So the Pennsylvania Board and the surveyors are trying to work to resolve that legislatively, but that was certainly not the intentions I think they thought would come out of this entire case. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit surprising, um, particularly the part about the taxi driver. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> That that's an interesting case. I, I'm sure a lot of our uh, our listeners may want to go do a little research and look that up. And um, because, as everybody knows, when a case comes about, it becomes I won't say it's a precedent so much, but it's certainly a reference the next time something comes up. And and those kind of travel across state lines. So when those kind of things come down, then 
obviously we in the surveying profession should know the know about them whether we agree with them or not we should certainly know about them well we're only a minute and a half or so away from finishing up today so i want to make sure i, I thank all three of you for joining me today um samantha uh Hopefully you didn't have to get up too much earlier than normal today to, to join us, but we do appreciate you being with us today and sharing your perspectives. Uh, it's very been great talking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. And, and of course, Dan, always great talking with you. And, and James and I have these in-depth conversations all the time, James, right? We just, we're both uh, high-level <laughs> thinkers, right? Well, at least you are. I'm not. <laughs> uh, you don't give yourself enough credit. <laughs> but, but I certainly do appreciate you, you all of you joining me today to talk about this topic, and, and it's one that I know our audience will want to hear if they haven't heard it already. And um, I think I mention all the time on the show that maybe you aren't aware that we get about 37, thousand, 37 downloads per month of our shows. So um, we think a lot of people are going to be hearing this. So you guys may want to go back and put this in your file so you can use it as a reference moving ahead if you ever want to do that. Uh, I don't ever go back and listen unless I have to because I sound so horrible once I go back. But nonetheless, thank you for being with me today. It's been great, and it's a great topic. Maybe we'll be able to pursue it further sometime down the road. So thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. Bye-bye.